Yes, Lord. We thank you for your precious blood, Jesus. For while we were yet sinners, you came for each and every one of us, Lord. We thank you, God, for giving up your son for us so that we could have a relationship with you. We honor you. We worship you. We magnify you. And we thank you for the precious blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. You may be seated. kind of want to move away from this because I want you to really look at the cross as I'm preaching tonight. I'm not going to keep you long at all because that's the whole reason we're here tonight is the cross of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad for the cross? Amen. You know, throughout all of his teachings in the gospel, Jesus said this, if you will be my disciple, you will do three things. You will deny yourself, you'll take up your cross, and you'll follow me. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a disciple of mine, those are the three things that you will do. First, you will deny yourself, you'll take up your cross, and then you'll follow in my footsteps. To deny yourself means that each one of us need to surrender our life to Jesus. I've shared this many times with you. The definition of a miserable person is one who says they're born again and they gave their heart to Jesus, but they haven't surrendered their life fully to him. The only way that you can truly enjoy this abundant life that Jesus bled and died for is to surrender completely to him, to submit your life to him, and to yield your life completely to him. Amen. It's a basic requirement for all of us as a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 24, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Jesus said, I could just come and I could just live this life. He said, I, 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 I have the will to either finish this thing or complete it. I have the choice to either submit to the Father's plan for my life to bring redemption for mankind, or when the, when the going gets tough, I can just cave in and just give up. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, for the joy knowing that each and every one of you would be sitting in this room tonight, remembering what he did on that ugly beam, for the joy of it, he endured everything, even that horrible death on the cross. In John chapter 19, verses 15 through 24, it says, But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out into a place, into that place called the place of the skull, which is also called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. The crucifixion, it was the most cruel death that the Romans 
had just mastered. It was to bring the most torture in a way that produces physical and emotional suffering like none of us could ever imagine. It was truly one of the cruelest, most humiliating ways anyone could be executed. It was especially used for those that were slaves or murderers or traitors or even the most terrible, rottenest criminals that there could be in that day. Historians say that the weight of the cross was about 300 pounds. The horizontal uh, cross piece on the top there alone weighed anywhere between 75 to 125 pounds. And during the procession to the place of crucifixion led by a centurion, the criminal was escorted by a Roman guard. A soldier carried a sign, and on that was the criminal's name and, and the thing that they were accused of, the thing that they were told that they were guilty of, their crime. Later on, it was placed above the cross after they were lifted up, after they were nailed to that cross and lifted up. After, after all the beating of Jesus endured, Jesus' clothing was removed because before you went up on that cross and you hung up, they would strip you naked. He was placed on that cross in a very uncomfortable position and, he, and it made breathing absolutely difficult. Added to the pain, there was intense dehydration that took place caused by the loss of blood and infection that was coming in. His fever only increased his thirst for something to drink. None of us can imagine what Jesus went through for you and I. It was truly a, a horrific death. Not only mentioning the humiliation of his naked, suffering, bloody body that they mocked mercilessly, insulting, uh, bringing insult upon insult upon him, but Jesus was also whipped on the way to go to that cross. For it says in Mark chapter 15, 15, Pilate delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Jesus' beard on his face was plucked out. Isaiah 50, the second part of verse 6 says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. Can you imagine it, having your beard plucked out of your face? Jesus' face was spat upon. Isaiah 50, the second part of verse 6 says, I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Jesus was forced to wear a crown of thorns, and that crown of thorns was twisted. In John chapter 19, verse 2, it says, And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And make no mistake about it, they just didn't lightly place it on his brow, but they pushed it down with every bit of force they could, causing, again, intense pain and bleeding. The scripture says that his face was unrecognizable because of all the beating and all the blood that was all over his face. His eyes, I'm sure, were almost, almost came to a close. They were so swollen because of all the beating and all the inflammation that was going on in his body. Jesus did that for you and me. Jesus did that. He took all of our sin, all of our shame, every one of our sicknesses, every one of our diseases, every bit of poverty, he took that for you and me on the cross. It says in Scripture, Father God, it pleased him to make Jesus' soul an offering for our souls. Can you imagine that, parents, you giving up your child 
and it pleasing you to give up your child as an offering for others. What an act of love hung on that cross. And yet through all that pain, Jesus said seven amazing statements before he gave up his spirit and went up, to, up into heaven to see the Father. How many of you know that the last seven words that any person speaks on this earth are probably the most impactful words that any one of us could hear that are by their, dead, their, their deathbed or whatever the case may be? Jesus, he had some significant, important things to say. And I know I share this every Good Friday service, but it's such a powerful sermon in itself, those last seven statements. I'd be doing all of us injustice and the Lord, of course, if we didn't review them again real quickly tonight. Jesus first said, as he hung on that tree for you and me, as they mocked him and made fun of him, as they spat at him, as they were casting lots for his clothing, as his naked, beaten, bloody body was hanging on that tree, he looked down at them and he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy that he would make intercession for the transgressors, found in Isaiah 53, verse 12. To whom was Jesus speaking to? In reality, all of us in this room here tonight. As Peter explained weeks later, when the Holy Spirit came out, and in his sermon in Acts chapter 2, he said, all the house of Israel crucified Christ. All of us in this room crucified Christ. It was our sin. It was our debt that he paid. Jesus did that for you and me. Amen. Secondly, he said this. As he looked to the criminal on the side, that all of a sudden was overcome by the love that he was seeing in Jesus on that cross. He was being transformed. Listen, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you feel like you've messed it up with God. Always remember this, beloved. God always loves you. He always loves you. There's nothing that you could do to separate his love from you. We can separate ourselves from his love, but his love is always going towards us. There are two criminals guilty and deserving of death that hung beside Jesus on either side. Both had reviled him, according to Matthew chapter 27. But later when one blasphemed Christ again, the other had a remarkable change of heart, and he responded, do you not even fear God? I mean, you know he had a change of heart. For he had, if he had not had a change of heart, he would have never said that. That would have never even been a check in his heart. But he did. Remembering that we face judgment before God, he confessed that their, ju that their just condemnation was really because they deserved it. But Jesus, he said, this man has done nothing wrong. That's in verse 41 of Luke chapter 23. Even more extraordinary, he expressed faith that Christ would rule over God's kingdom. And he said, Lord, remember me. Remember me when you go into paradise. 
Jesus replied, prove the truth. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that says, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. Aren't you glad that Jesus is praying for you and me right now? Hallelujah. Amen. The third phrase that Jesus uttered out as his body was aching on that cross, as he was having a hard time breathing, I'm sure his lungs were collapsing by now. But he said this, he looked at his mother and saw her weeping and overcome with grief. That arrow truly did pierce her heart at that moment that day. And he said, woman, behold your son, John 19, verses 26 and 27. Mary had seen more than her share of sorrow in her life. She saw how people rejected Jesus. She saw how people mocked them. Even at one time, her very offspring came to her and said, Mom, I think Jesus is crazy. He's doing all this stuff. We got to do something about it. And yet now, if things couldn't get worse, she had to watch her son die a criminal's death. Now seeing her grown son hated by people and forsaken by her friends, she stood still at the cross of Jesus, verse 25. Yet there Jesus, intensely suffering, but thinking of the needs of his mother, who he loved so very much, he made sure that she was going to be taken care of. So he looks at the one guy that can do the job and do it well, John the Beloved. And he said to him, he said, Son, behold thy mother. Mother, behold thy son. Jesus, even though he was dying for you and me, he still was concerned about his mother. Amen. He then comes and he, in such agony and pain, he, he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sakabandainai. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David once wrote, I have not seen the righteous forsaken. Psalm 37, forsake means to abandon or leave helpless. Being forsaken is a horrific experience, but to be forsaken by God, could you imagine anything worse? Could you imagine life without God? I think that would be the worst thing. I don't even want to imagine it. Know this, beloved. When those that forsake God and don't serve God and they find themselves in hell, they'll realize that they made a mistake. Because even though they may have made fun of God, they'll truly know what it means to be forsaken of God then. Why did God forsake? Why did the Father forsake the Son? Because at that moment, every one of our sins, every one of our iniquities, every one of our transgression, every generational curse, every sickness, every pain, every poverty, it was all being poured upon Jesus at that time. And Father God, being holy and just, he could not look upon that. So for a moment, he had to look away. And Jesus felt for the very first time that, that, that feeling of being forsaken 
of being abandoned by God. Know this, if you're feeling abandoned, know that Jesus, he knows what it means to be left alone. Gasping for air, trying to reach himself up on that cross. Dehydration to the max. He cries out, I thirst. In John 19, verse 28, knowing that all things must be fulfilled and accomplished, the scriptures say that Jesus says, I thirst. And in Psalm 69, verse 21, it says, for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. And that's exactly what they did. They put that on the sponge. They put it on a reed and they put it up towards his mouth. So Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. He looked at the criminal on the cross and he said, you will be with me in paradise. He looked at his mother and he said, woman, behold your son. He cried out to God and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said, I thirst. And then in John 19.30, he said, it is finished. He finished what he was called to do. He paid every one of our debts at that moment. Everything was taken care of. Aren't you glad that Jesus said it's finished? Aren't you glad that Jesus said paid in full? There's nothing more any one of us has to do to be more holy, more righteous. Jesus has paid it all. And then finally, I'm sure it was real. I, I bet it was immediate after that. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He who freely gave himself into the hands of his executioners was now committing himself into the hands of his loving Father. Jesus. Jesus did it all. In his life, he had always submitted to his father's will, and now in his death, he would do no, nothing other. The forsaken feeling he experienced shortly before, boy, that no longer remained now, because <laughs> he was in the loving arms of his father again. He was in union with the father again. He knew God would answer his expectations, so grasping his last breath, Jesus uttered his last words, those words of complete faith. And sure enough, there he was with the Father. What an amazing love story. Jesus did it all for you and me. We're going to partake in communion now. And why are we doing that? We're doing that in remembrance of what Jesus has done for you and me. In Luke chapter 22, which by the way, at this time, if you did not receive a communion cup and wafer, I encourage you to raise your hand. Isaac will make sure you get one. I welcome everyone who's born again, part of the family of God, to partake in communion with us. We have open communion table here. We celebrate together, amen. But in, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus he institutes this, this new supper, this new covenant. Amen. 
And in verse 14, it says, And when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he did something so amazing. At the Passover Seder, there's always an extra cup set at the table. It's called the cup of consummation. Jesus picked up that cup of consummation because Jesus was showing them that finally now, all in the law, all the law and the prophets now was going to be fulfilled with what he was going to accomplish on the cross. Aren't you glad for that? He was instituting a better covenant with better promises. Everything was coming together. Jesus then took that cup and he passed it around to everyone at that table. They all had a portion of it. But then he first took some bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 